welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. We have been studying, as you know, what we have become. What have we become? We ask the question, more or less, what have we become? And answer it in this series of messages. Just so happened that it turned out this way. We, we sort of scheduled it, but we really weren't thinking about Easter and the various uh, dates that would follow or, or that would fall on this the time of this uh, series. Today I want to talk to you, as Pastor Eric last week talked to you about, he became a curse. We might become, receive and become a blessing. Today I want to talk to you about the idea and the fact that Jesus became sin, that you might be made the righteousness of God in Him. But I ask you to take your Bible and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll read verse 21 to begin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. It's good to see all of you here on this Easter Sunday morning. Amen. Our first service has joined us today. We're glad to have all of you here. Praise God. How many of you normally go to the first service? Let me see your hands. Hands of the first service. All right. We're glad to have you here. Praise God. First John 4, 7. Oh, yeah, yeah. We need to read 1 John 4, 7 first. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Huh? 17. First 7. What am I thinking? 1 John 4, 17. We're always reading that verse. 1 John 4, 17. Let's go there. Then we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 5, 21. 1 John 4, 17. Have you found it? Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. Not, 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 not hoping to be, but as he is, so are we in this world. That's, that's because... Uh, he said that the reason, the reason for that is so we could have boldness in the day of judgment. Most of the time when people think about judgment, they're, they're trembling in their boots, and they should be. Because if you've not made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you've not declared that He died for your sins, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, if you don't believe that truly in your heart, then the Bible says that you're outside the covenant. You're still out there hoping to go to heaven. Wishing it would all work out. Hoping that when they fill the scales, your side will, will, will weigh to your favor. Hmm? It won't. It won't. You will not have boldness in the day of judgment. We're not going to have boldness in the day of judgment because we're proud. Because we say, praise God, I did my best. No, everybody who says, well, I did my best, those folks are lost. But those who say that Jesus is Lord, he did 
all that could be done. He satisfied the high requirements of God. I never could have done it myself. I throw all that I hope to be, all that I am, and all that I ever hope to be over on Jesus and say, Jesus died for me. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose again from the dead, and Jesus is alive today. Praise God. That's how we have boldness. You see? But it doesn't say that we're going to be like he is. It says, as he is, so are we in this world. We are the body of Christ. What have we become? We've become more than just people who've been forgiven. Thank God. How many of you are glad you were forgiven? I'm thankful for forgiveness, but you've, been, you've become more than just the forgiven. You know, I, I've seen the bumper sticker, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. No, 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 no. You are not just forgiven. You've been forgiven, but you've been born all over again. When you make Jesus Lord of your life, a miracle transpires. God doesn't just wink at sin and say, okay, I'm over it now. It's okay now that you feel sorry about it. That is not how this happened. That's all religions in the world. All religions make provision for that. But just one makes provision to make a brand new creature out of you, praise God. The moment Jesus comes into your life and you become, you become a believer in Jesus, that means that you become born all over again and a miracle transpired. A miracle took place on the inside of you. Now, if you've not had that miracle happened today it can happen before uh, for you before you walk out those doors today amen I mean uh, we're not gonna have to put you through school so you can learn how to do it it's a miracle transformation on the inside now here in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 let's get there real quick one of those things that we have become what gives us this right to say as he is as he is right now so are we in this world. One of those things is this issue here. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Look at verse 21 now. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin. That is, now that who knew no sin is talking about him. For he who knew no sin, huh, became sin. God made him to be sin that we might be made the righteousness. We who knew no righteousness might be made the righteousness of God in him. I did not write this, ladies and gentlemen, but I'm sure glad I found it. He made him, God the Father, the judge of all the earth, made Jesus to be sin for us. And when the Bible says Christ died for our sins, that means, I looked it up in the Greek. It means, literally it means, he died for our sins. Is this too deep? Heavy, heavy. He really was dying for our sins. In fact, God reckoned him to be sin. There's so much proof of this in Scripture. Seems impossible. Seems impossible that God could turn a sinner. Somebody, I mean, you know what you were like before you came to Christ. How many of you are born again today? Let me see your hands. All right. If it's not true, don't raise your hand. But you raise your hand, you say, I'm born again. How many of you say, that's a miracle because I know what I was? Let me see your other hand. It's a miracle because you know what you were. I mean, how can it be that someone can be transformed and made to be the righteousness of God in him like this says? It doesn't say, the Greek text doesn't actually say that we might become. It says that we be the righteousness of God in him. 
that we be the righteousness of God in him. It just doesn't sound real good in English saying it that way. He made him to be sin for us that we be the righteousness of God in him. He who knew no sin. How can it be? How can it be? There's just one way. That is if the person who decides what sin is. Did you know the devil didn't decide what sin was going to be? Adam didn't decide what sin was going to be. God's the one who set the standard and said what sin would be. The day that you eat that tree, Adam, you're going to die. God's the one who wrote the law and decided what sin would be. The breaking of that law. God's the one who decided. God's the one who later says, now, and here's what he says now. Whatever's not a faith is sin. You get to Romans chapter 14 and find that whatever's not a faith is sin. Okay? God's the one who decides that. The only way you can have your sins remitted is if the one who declares what sin is does something about it himself. I could never keep his standards. But you know, that's not really, that's not really proof that we were sinners, that we couldn't keep the standards of God. Proof that we were born sinners is that we couldn't keep the, our own standards. Come on, don't look so religious. How many, how many of you have made a New Year's resolution before? How many have broke it before February? See, I mean, we make rules for ourselves we don't keep. How in the world could we ever keep God's standards? Are you hearing me? Come on, you ought to tell somebody, that's why I needed grace. Come on, tell somebody, that's why I needed grace. Seems impossible. We, Miss Ann and I used to have a Yorkshire Terrier, and I don't know if you've ever had one of these dogs. Anybody here ever had a Yorkie? Yorkie lovers in the house? Now, if you've ever owned one, you're probably not a Yorkie lover anymore. <clears throat> At least I'm not. They, they're, the mo they're the prettiest dog in the world. I mean, I just think they're the cutest little things you ever laid. I, I did nothing like them. But, but to have this odor that I just can't stand. It's an odor that, you, oh, I know when there's a Yorkie in the house. Woo! It bugs me. And I would take that little dog and I scrub and put her in the bathtub and scrub that dog. I'm just, I mean, I was scrubbing that dog down the kitten in the ears and everything. I would clean. I, I, and this dog stinks. She said, I know. Well, just give her a bath. Give her a bath. Ah! I'm telling you, the dog was clean. She was clean, because I, I, I was trying to get that smell off that dog. And that was the cleanest dog in the county, I'm telling you. But I was working to get that smell off. And when I, when I get done, didn't take, you know, just get her dried off good, she still smelled like a Yorkie. But as clean as she was, and I knew she was clean, squeaky clean, it never crossed my mind to hold her up and say, this is what cleanliness is. I never once ever said, this is the epitome of cleanliness. Because as clean as I could make that dog, that gummit, she was still a stinking dog. Pardon my French, I'm just telling you, she was still a stinking dog. God could not say that you are the righteousness of God in Christ if you were still a stinking dog. When he says you have been made the righteousness of God in him, that means 
that you've become something other than what you were. Hallelujah. You're not just cleansed, not just forgiven. Something about you changed as a believer in Christ. Now, when I say you, I mean a euphemistic you for this whole, for this whole audience when you're, when you're born again. Now, because not everybody here today might be born again. You can be. You will be if you want to be. But the truth is, something wonderful and glorious happened. This is how it happened. A miracle transformation upon your faith in Christ. Because you had your faith in somebody else before. You may not think you did, but you did. You had your faith in something. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, you know, before I really made a commitment to Christ, I, 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 I kept thinking. And my commitment to Christ was to believe that He's the one who paid for my sins, that I never could. Your commitment to Christ, listen to me, we get this all goofed up sometimes. People say, well, I made a commitment to follow Jesus. Well, God bless you. But you should make a commitment to Christ to honor his death, burial, and resurrection with every moment of your life and stop trying to work for your righteousness, but believe that he, he was righteous enough. I happen to believe that the power of God is in the gospel. I happen to believe that the gospel is what saved me. I happen to believe that if, I, if my performance would have saved me, then Jesus died for nothing. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by keeping some standard, then Christ died for nothing, but Jesus died for us. He did not do that for his own good. He did not do that so he would become famous he was famous enough he was God Almighty he died for you he wants you to make your commitment to never trust anything but him hallelujah amen he didn't only forgive you he recreated you inwardly that's what verse 17 there said that we said they were read there in 2nd Corinthians 5 therefore if any man be in Christ he's a He's a cleaned up creature. He's a really scrubbed up good creature. He's a forgiven creature. No, no, no. He's a brand new creature. I like the way it says over there in Jeremiah about the potter. It says he, the potter found that the pot was marred in his hand. So he made it again another. I read those verses over and over. I keep trying to make it make sense. I can understand how you can make another. And I can understand how you can make it. But I don't understand how you can make it again another. I understand. Did you hear me? I understand how you can make it. And I understand how you can make another. But I don't know how you make it again another. Unless he's talking about you. <laughs> Unless he's talking about us. When he recreated you, he made you again another. You've got some friends you need to go talk to. You've got some old friends that think that they know who you are and who you used to be. Miss Ann and I just came from an alumni banquet and our friends found out that we're not what we used to be I know I know you just tell them I know I look like what I used to be but I've been made it again another I'm I, I, on the outside I look like the old man but on the inside I'm a brand new creation glory be to God I've been made all over again that's how it happens he doesn't just Wipe the record clean. Thank God that he did that. But that's not all he does. What he really does. You see the reason for that is because there's no way to escape this seed time and harvest thing. 
He had to make us a new creature. He had to make you a brand new creature because there's no way to escape seed time and harvest. As long as the earth remains, there shall not cease to be seed time and harvest. It's an eternal law. How many of you sowed some bad seeds? Don't look religious again. I want you to tell me. How many of you sowed some bad seeds out there? Mm-hmm. Oh, Gary. Brother, you didn't raise your hand high enough. I know you raised you. There you go. Get both of them up. You sowed some bad seeds out there. What are you going to do when you want to get right with God? You've got all that harvest that's tracking you down. How do you fix that? He made it again another. That harvest of evil starts coming to your house, comes up there and rings your doorbell, ding dong. You go to the door and it looks at you and says, wait a minute, I thought a fellow named Holler lived here. Who are you looking for? John T. Holler, I'm his harvest. I don't know who you're looking for, but I'm a brand new creature. What I used to be, I am no more. You'll find that guy in a watery grave in Love County, Oklahoma. Glory to God. The reason God had to make you over again was so he could help you escape the harvest of bad things that you did before you came to know Christ. Now that harvest is out there, belongs to nobody. You know, where, you know where it really went? It's not really tracking you down today. The moment you put faith in Christ, it was nailed to that cross. It was nailed to that cross with Jesus. Amen. Whew. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Jesus had the last supper with his disciples on the last night he was here. He had the last supper. And then when they crossed the Kidron Valley, went out to Gethsemane. Gethsemane means oil press. Oil press. And the oil press had once been out there where that Garden of Gethsemane was on the Mount of Olives, just across the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem, out of the city of Jerusalem, east, across the Kidron Valley. And... Uh, that Kidron, they're not, they're not real sure about where the word came from, but it seems to be a derivative of the Hebrew word the, or the Aramaic word Kadar. Kadar. And Kadar means to be dark. Hmm. So Jesus traversed the dark valley, made his way up into the Mount of Olives. And there the Bible says, that he became very, very sorrowful and began to sweat under extreme stress. Luke 22 and verse 44, it says that uh, a medical condition called hematidrosis, hematidrosis set in to Jesus as he began to sweat blood. It's a medical condition, and it's not terribly, terribly uh, uncommon. It's, 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 it's not every day, but uh, it's been heard of on a number of occasions throughout the years. Generally, the person under this kind of duress is approaching death. They, they, they can actually die from sweating blood. Jesus has this kind of stress upon him. 
You might ask, well, yeah, if you knew you were going to be crucified, wouldn't you have stress? I'm telling you the hero of the Bible was not stressed about dying. He was voluntarily giving his life, and all he had to do was snap his fingers and say, I don't want to do this. He just snapped his fingers. It would have all been over. He did not have to do this. The thing that was stressing Jesus was what was happening in the spirit because there was something other than what was seen by the men that were looking at him in the natural. Something other than that was happening. After the Lord's Supper, he went out there and he said to them, I am exceeding sorrowful. My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto the point of death. Now, there's something you've got to know about Jesus. He did not throw words around like you and I do. Oh, that tickled me to death. Huh? Scared me to death. Now, in North Texas, it's not scared. It's scared. Scared me to death. Jesus didn't talk like that. He never talked like that. If he said his soul was exceeding sorrowful, even unto the point of death, that means he was dying. He did not throw euphemisms like that around. He was dying and he knew he was. It was his life was slipping away. His, the stress factor became so great that it began to break the capillaries around his sweat glands and he started sweating blood. And the one who reports this is a guy named Luke who was a physician. He was a doctor. And he noted that hematidrosis had set into Jesus. Let me tell you what was going on. Jesus was dying as he was headed to the garden. Why would he be dying there? Because the supernatural spirit realm, something in that realm, something awesome was happening. You read about this in the book of Leviticus and other places, how that the high priest, whenever the sinner brought a, brought a, a lamb or a bullock or, they were going, or, or, the, or a goat, whatever it was to sacrifice, that the high priest would lay his hands on the beast lay his hands on the beast, transferring his sins onto the beast and the sins of the nation and the sins of the one who brought the sacrifice. He would lay hands on the thing. Now, when we lay hands on, on people, it's a blessing, praise God. When you lay your hands on your children and pray for them, now you're imparting blessings, amen. But it, there was a time when they laid hands on, they, all they could impart was their sinfulness. They were imparting their sinfulness and they imparted it to these beasts. And then they killed the beast to say, this beast is dying in my place. My sins are being transferred until the next time I need another sacrifice. Laid it over on there. And the reason it would only last for a while because generally it was a yearling. It might have been a two-year-old, might have been a three-year-old. But the sacrificial lamb for the whole nation, the Passover lamb, was a one-year-old. Many of the sacrifices were one-year-old. That blood will only last for as long as that blood had lived. Are you hearing me? And it had to be redone all the time. But God Almighty had His Son on this earth. And as He's going out to the Garden of Gethsemane, God acts as the priest of all the universe and lays His hands over onto Jesus and imputes the sin of the whole world over onto Jesus. Before He dies, He senses this, He knows this. And that moment... He begins to be gripped by death. He goes on through that agony of an hour or so in prayer. He begins to pray, Not my will, but thine be done. What we've become makes no sense if we don't know what he became.
what we've become makes no sense because everything that we've become is predicated upon what he became on our behalf. Jesus prayed, I am fully convinced, not trying to escape the cross. This has been said for so many years, and even people I admire have said this, but I do not believe it, have not believed it for many, many years. I cannot see Jesus trying to escape the cross in that garden. Not the hero of the Bible. Not when he, in Matthew chapter 16, after Peter had made his great confession, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I mean, would you just get about five or ten verses later? I don't know, but it's not very far down the road. And Jesus starts talking to them about him dying. And Peter took him and rebuked him and said, No, Lord, this will not happen to you. And Jesus turned to the same guy he had just blessed because of the revelation that he had, that he had uh, confessed out of his mouth about Jesus being the Son of God. Turns right to that guy and he says, And he said unto Peter, Satan, you do not desire the things of God. Get up behind me. He talked, looking at Peter, talking to Peter, but talking to Satan. Huh? Because Peter said, no, 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 you're not going to die. Now let me ask you a question. Will the Son of God then go into that garden and pray the will of Satan? I don't see it happening. I don't see that happening. I don't see him praying in that garden to escape the cross. He was praying in that garden to let this cup because he knew he was dying there. He knew he was dying there. I'm going to help you today. He knew he was dying in that garden. And he said, let this cup. And if you'll read verse 43, Luke twenty-two forty-three, 43, it says it. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. As he was in this agony and sweating great drops of blood, an angel came and strengthened him because indeed he was dying in the garden. And that's the only cup he prayed that would pass. And because he had no way of practicing you know, our children have practiced for what they did here today. Hmm? How many of you have ever been in a play? You had to practice, right? You can practice for that kind of thing. You can practice. Eric, when you preached for me, and when you were the president of the student body at our college, and you preached for me, had you practiced some to preach for me? It's kind of a scary thing to preach for me, isn't it? Knowing I'm going to grade you. Yeah, yeah, you practiced. Of course. Poor little Jenna. She probably heard that sermon 25 times, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> huh? Jesus has no way of practicing for dying. He is life personified. He's never known separation from the Father, not one moment. There's no way to practice for this. There's no way to experience it. You just have to experience it once. There's just one way to do it. You just experience it once when you're God. Mm, think of it. There he is facing death. No dress rehearsal. No way to prepare for it except to step into it by faith. John chapter 12 and verse 23. Jesus answered them saying, John 12, 23. Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat shall fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Here he's talking about the crucifixion. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. Verse 27, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I 
unto this hour. When he's speaking of the crucifixion, he never once ever acts like he wants to escape it. When he's speaking of what's going on in the garden, that he wants to escape so he can make it through the crucifixion. This is the hero of the Bible. Can I get a good amen? This is the hero of the Bible. He's not wimping out like the theologians have tried to tell us. Oh, here you see the humanity of Jesus. No, if it's like you say, he is wimping out and fear got a grip on him. And Jesus called fear sin. I don't know about your Jesus, but my Jesus never sinned. It says in the book, book of Revelation that all liars and fearful are going to be in the lake of fire. thought I'd just let that one drop out there. That's not Jesus, not the hero of the Bible. Gethsemane means oil press. He was being pressed and stressed like no one ever had been. He had to endure that dark night because something else was coming. After he prayed three times, the soldiers arrived. He got the Judas kiss. Peter drew his sword, cut off the high priest's servant's ear. Somebody told me the other day, he said, you know why, Jesus, why Peter cut off the high priest's servant's ear? Because he's standing there going, okay, the high priest, this is the number one guy. Jesus, I'm the number one guy. We went after high priest's servant and I don't think Peter was that good with that sword that's just me he was a fisherman you might have a different opinion but I don't think he's all that good with that sword I think he meant to cut the guy's throat that's what I think he was going for <laughs> I mean you got to be good at it, just reach up and snip off his ear you know what I'm talking about I think he was going for something a bit more severe than an ear trim they said, who are, they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus walks out of the crowd, looks at him, he said, who are you looking for? And they all fell down. <laughs> Soldiers in armament with spears. They just all fell down. Yet again, Jesus just proving nobody, not even the Roman army is going to take his life. He's going to give his life. They fell down and stood back up. He said, who are you looking for? You can you tell they braced themselves. I'm him. I'm he. So they arrested him and he let it happen. No one took his life. And in a kangaroo court, and I call it a kangaroo court because it was totally illegal. Jews do not hold court at night. It was against the law of Moses. Against all the tradition of the Jews to hold court at night. And they held a night court in order to condemn Jesus. But of course, they couldn't carry out their sentence. They had to take him before Pilate. Who, by the way, said, I find no fault in him. You remember this? Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Of course he didn't find any fault in him. He didn't have any fault. There was no fault in him in the human court. There's no fault in him in the court of, of, of justice. All Jesus' fault was imputed. This is a key to understanding what Christianity is all about. All of Jesus' fault was imputed. All of Jesus' fault was imputed. That's why all of your righteousness is imputed. That is, if you don't get it as a gift, it's not the real thing. It's an exchange God was making. 
He imputed sin upon him and he had never sinned. He imputed righteousness upon you. Oh, but pastor, you don't know how bad I am. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I raise children. Born perfect little sinners, all of them. I mean, just perfect little babies. I've, I have nine grandchildren, perfect in every way, perfect little sinners, all, every last one of them. Huh? Even the one named after me, John Dillon, perfect little boy, but just a perfect little sinner. Couldn't help himself, couldn't help himself at all because all his righteousness has to be imputed because all of Jesus' sin was imputed. He had never done anything wrong. As he hangs on the cross, he was crucified, hanging on the cross. Jesus says seven powerful things. I'm not going to give them all to you today. My subject is, huh? What is my subject? Anybody know? <laughs> Help me. Now, my subject is, he became sin that we might be made righteousness. He became sin that we might be made righteousness. He became sin that we be made righteousness. That we be righteousness. At one point, the next to the last thing Jesus said was, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Seems impossible that God would give his son after all the Christmas cheer. After all the glories of his upbringing, after all the miracles, after all the healings, after all the forgiveness that flowed from him like a fountain, how he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, it seems unthinkable that this God who gave him would now forget him and forsake him. Seems unthinkable. It seems like the worst travesty of justice anyone could imagine. And yet, there he is, sinless, perfect in every detail, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Don't, don't misunderstand what he says. Jesus isn't saying, My God, my God, it feels like you've forsaken me. He isn't saying, My God, my God, Why have I forsaken you? My God, my God, why am I dying? No. Remember, he couldn't practice for this. There was no way to prepare. Either Jesus was mistaken about that moment, or Jesus was forsaken in that moment. And I don't know how you read the Bible, but I read the Bible like this, that Jesus was forsaken. My God, my God, 
He didn't say, have you? He said, why have you? And if it wasn't true, then yet again, this would be an indictment of blasphemy against God if it wasn't true. But indeed, it was true. God had forsaken his own son. Why have you forsaken me? Anybody have an idea why? Of course you have an idea why. Because God was through with man being forsaken. And every moment that you felt alienated, every moment you felt cut off, every moment that you have felt like you were put out to pasture, or you were locked away, or that heaven had turned to brass, or that you somehow were, were having your prayers just fall flat, God is saying in Jesus being forsaken, you will never be forsaken forever. As long as your faith is in the one who was forsaken for you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Means that you will never be forsaken. But he said something really astonishing right after that. Don't forget. He has already had God Almighty transfer the sins of the world to him. And now he's hanging on a cross. As it were, glaring into the abyss. As his soul is slipping away, he feels his spirit leaving him. And just before he gives up the ghost, he cries out a most astonishing thing. Don't forget, don't forget, this is not just a feeling. This is not just a quandary. God has forsaken him. And for the first time in all of eternity, Jesus could not sense the presence of God. He had never, not even when he was being carried as a babe in his mother's womb, he had never known separation from the Father. But here, he knows separation from the Father. No way to practice for something like that. No dress rehearsal for that. He's just out there by faith. He's just out there by faith. Come on, tell somebody, go ahead and live by faith. He's out there by faith. Because there's nothing in the natural realm that tells him this is going to work. Everybody he's supposed to be saving is cursing him. Everybody he's supposed to be loving is hating him. Everybody he's supposed to be helping is hurting him in every possible way. Nothing in the natural encourages him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just as his soul begins to tumble headlong into the abyss, he cries out, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. What? How do you keep shocking us? How do you, when you're dying, say the most astonishing things to make us understand who you are, Jesus? You just said God had forsaken you, and yet out of your mouth comes the most remarkable statement of faith that has ever come from anybody's lips. Father, Father, Father. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. When he felt like the sin center of the universe, when he felt like it was all over between him and God, when he felt like God was not going to hear him and his prayers couldn't be answered, by faith, he said, my father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Let me tell you something. Faith does not work. Faith will not operate on the basis of how it feels to you. Jesus is teaching us with his last breath. Faith works 
by a confession of faith. No matter what your senses tell you. No matter what your circumstances say to you. No matter what the world is saying. No matter what the religious leaders are saying about you. Even if you're hanged on a cross and it's the last thing you can get out of your mouth. You still got to hold on to your confession. God is my father. I cannot lose. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. The greatest statement of faith ever spoken. He was put in a borrowed tomb. Why? Well, Jesus, somebody said, Jesus was so poor, he couldn't afford his own tomb. No. Jesus was put in a borrowed tomb because he knew he wasn't going to be needing it all that long. Somebody else might as well get good use out of that thing. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't, even going to, he wasn't even going to foul it with any kind of smell of death. You'll not suffer your Holy One to see corruption. Just three days, I mean, he's just going to be in there a little while. Something was happening. The reason the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, the reason the gospel doesn't just say Christ died for our sins and he rose again. The reason it says Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried because something was happening when he was buried. He went to hell. What the Bible teaches clearly, and I won't take time to document it, but if you have questions about it, you can ask me or email me later. Or, you know, I am on MySpace now. Oh, Facebook, sorry. Facebook. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'm telling you, I have come kicking and screaming into the 21st century. I did not want to be here. My kids made me come. We'll talk about it later, but I'll tell you, the Bible teaches that Christ went into hell. Because that's where you were going. And he went there so you wouldn't have to go. Everything. He did not do this for him. He did this for us. Christ died for us. And he was buried. Who was he buried for? He was buried for us. He was buried. Something was taking place in hell. And I can't go into it today, but I'll tell you this. Late Saturday night, sometime in the night. After the Sabbath was over, there's a lot of discussion about when he was crucified. I personally think it was probably Wednesday. Don't anybody throw anything. I just personally think it's probably Wednesday. I like the whole idea of three days and three nights. I can't get three days and three nights out of Friday afternoon to Sunday morning. I just I can't get it out of there. But, but you, you believe whatever you want to. I won't fuss about it. You hear it? Time started ticking. He was in there the first night and the first day, the second night and the second day, and the third night and the third day. And when that third day ended at sundown, that would have been Saturday. The moment he died, the clock started ticking on the devil's demise. They didn't know. They heard that clock ticking, I think. But they didn't know what it was about. They thought it was about when the party would start. They had him there. He looked over there. No doubt. Looked like a lamb all tied up. You all have heard me say this before. But I have the idea that the devil that was watching him. Would look at him every now and then. And say, yep, yep, that's still him. We really got him. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Thursday, Friday, 
Saturday, and then he looked sometime Saturday afternoon and noticed that that lamb had great long claws growing. Noticed that that lamb had great long teeth growing. Noticed that that lamb had a big mane growing. He ran back to his supervisor and said, Boss man, do lambs have big long claws? Do lambs have big long teeth? Do lambs have big long mane? No. <laughs> Something scary is happening over here with this lamb. And then all of a sudden, the three days were fulfilled. And I believe the lights came on in hell as if it was bright day light. When the Lamb of God roared to life as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Overcoming death hell and the grave and said to the devil I'll take those keys he opened the graves opened the doors those that were held in, held in bondage and said come with me I'm gonna, we're going to take a tour of Jerusalem and the Bible says that when he rose from the dead the graves of the saints opened up and he took the first fruits to glory with him hallelujah and the Bible also says that 40 days later he was enthroned on the throne at the right hand of almighty God and sent back as gifts like every Asian king every oriental king every eastern king they send gifts to their subjects when they're enthroned and Jesus seated at the right hand of God on the throne of Almighty God sent the Holy Ghost as his favorite gift to all of his subjects praise God and here we have Easter Sunday morning Easter Sunday I mean this is resurrection Sunday morning you can call it Easter if you want to but I mean and what we're really celebrating is the fact that when Jesus died he didn't stay dead and in that whole package in that whole package as I said he did not do it for himself he did it so that sin he could call sin whatever he wanted to. And he called his body, cursed and sin, nailed to that tree so that that sin would not be hanging over you the moment you make faith, put faith in Christ, make Jesus Lord of your life. I'll ask you to pray. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com. 